0: So good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Business Insider Secrets podcast. Um, I've got an amazing guest lined up, uh, someone that I've uh, worked with, seen uh, for many, many years, and I've always wanted to ask them a whole load of questions, and now I get that opportunity. So I'm really, really excited. So welcome to Elaine. Hi, Elaine, are you there? Hi, I'm here, Andy, and
1: very excited. I'm not so sure about the many, many. Can we just go with one many?
0: <laughs> you know, might it's, be that old. It's only a couple of decades. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for joining me. So, Elaine, um, let's just touch base, just for the audience sake, give us a little snapshot of um, you, your name, where you live, um, and uh, you know, a synopsis, perhaps, of... you currently do and then we'll end up there in a moment
1: okay i'm elaine penhall i'm the founder and director of a business called lemon and lime interiors and we stage property for sale in the premium end of the property market so basically we go in and get properties ready um, for sale. They go on the market with agents such as Knight Frank, Savills, & Entry, a lot of the um, independent selling premium properties. And the purpose around what we do is to enable our clients to achieve higher offers more quickly than the average property would on the market, having just been launched by the vendor themselves. Fantastic. And where are you based? Uh, we're based in the Midlands. So we're just south of Derby. But because we're very unusual in what we do and because we've really developed a strong niche in our market, then in fact, we stage all over the country now.
0: Fantastic. All right. And we're going to end up there. Um, in I don't know 45 minutes at a time so I'm excited to come back to that bit because I want to dig deep into some of how you got to there and the experiences you you got along the way which is the whole idea of this podcast in the first place now Elaine let's also touch on how we got to know each other so do you want to do you want to go for that because it's probably be better coming from you <laughs>
1: can we think back to that first meeting? Was that not in a shed in Calshot, I think?
0: Actually, I think that may be the first meeting encounter. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, I think it might quite well have been at the point where um, I was coaching sailing. And that was what I was doing for work that I was... um, working with instructors and developing instructor skills. I was doing a lot of work around the, around the world at that point, um, just doing inspection set of, of sailing centers and was very early stage of setting up the kind of water sports centers in the, in the, in the med, the things that now many people go to um, and love on holiday. And at the time, I was—I think when we met, you were working at one of the big centres on the south coast, and I think I must have come in to do an instructor course then, and um, and you were part of that um, of, of that um, bunch of people around at the time. And then we've kind of known one another through through our sailing
0: over the years, haven't we? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Exactly that's it. All revolves basically around sailing. Um and Elaine and I have shared many a um, alcoholic beverage on discussing on you know re, re- reinventing the world in many ways. Um, and I'm probably going to leave it there for to start with. I think so, that's best. Without uh, without a glass of wine in my hand, I'm, I can't possibly go there. No. Uh, so, uh, Elaine, um, thanks for joining us. I, I know that uh, there's going to be some great questions and some great stuff that's going to come out of here, and. Really, what I want to start off is—is is you, you're based in the Midlands now. Is that where you grew up and where you you lived beforehand, or? No, I grew up on the coast in Norfolk,
1: um, and I could see the sea from my bedroom window. And I and I decided, age about fourteen, that I wanted to learn to sail. And so nobody in my family sailed. My dad doesn't swim, and was terrified of me going near the water. So I just pestered and pestered and pestered and found a group that would um that would take me um and and um, and learn to sail then so no I grew up I grew up on the coast and can I do my very proud moment today my very excited moment today I today the January edition of Coast Magazine came out and I'm in it so that's and amazing.
0: Look at that! That's,
1: that's, at that. that's, <laughs> no, that's amazing. That's amazing because I read. You know, it's lovely to be in things that you actually read, isn't it? And coast yeah. magazine because I'm, you know, I need to get back to the coast. I need to go back home.
0: Because <laughs> actually, that piece is really interesting. Because one of the things I've put down here that we're going to touch on, and I'm hoping we're going to get to, is PR. Um, uh, so uh, that, I'm going to circle back to that as well because I think that's really interesting. So, um, so started in Norfolk you have ended, ended up in the Midlands by hook, default, or whatever process. I, mar- I
1: married a guy who was a property developer in the Midlands, so okay. that was he didn't he didn't have an option to move. It was family business, and so at the, at that point, I'd just stepped off a yacht in Falmouth, where I'd been teaching for um for for a year, um, and had no idea to do not what to do next. So, um, getting married and moving to the Midlands seemed like the next the next step.
0: Yeah, the next logical step in the, uh, <laughs> in the, fa- life. In the life cycle. Oh, yeah, far yes. right. So-, <laughs> so you're doing all the sort of sailing stuff. Um, and, you know, we, you, we talked about there, about where we met, you were doing the coaching and the, and the stuff. Was that, that's, you, know, you were sort of relatively self-employed at that point rather than a business where we were I in was, cycle?
1: I think, I think the whole self-employed thing is really interesting, particularly, dare I say it, for a woman in my generation, because, of course, we grew up with the expectation that it was, it was very, very early days. I mean, bear in mind that when I was at school, the Equality Act still hadn't been passed. Um, and we came out of school believing that we were going to be kind of... Um, Bilingual secretarial work was probably the height of what we were aspiring to at that point, Um, possibly, you know, if you were very, very clever, then you could be an accountant, you might be an accountant or a lawyer, but, but certainly through school, nobody ever mentioned as a woman or as anybody, you know, that you might be going to set up your own business or run your own business. I was lucky because my dad was self-employed. You may have heard me, you know, kind of um, saying before, you know, I I learned my skills of of negotiation um, from um, standing next to my dad in the pub. He was a secondhand car dealer. And that was where the majority of his his business was done. So I learned my skills very young. Um, And then um, when I was, when I came out of school, what happened then? Oh, after uni, I went, I, I was training as an actuary. So my first job after university, I was training as an actuary.
0: One second, what did you do at uni? So maths. Okay.
1: So my degree's in maths, yeah. So you're yeah. clever
0: cookies, that's what and you're then,
1: saying? <laughs> I just can't do anything else, I can do that all. I can do sums. <laughs>
0: what? <Are you> <laughs> Somebody do anything? tells me
1: what to do and I do it and the answer comes out at the end. I love that, I love the simplicity of
0: that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I did maths, then I went to be an actuary um, in Scotland, in fact, and in those days, again, getting offered a job as a training actuary as um, straight out of uni was quite unusual. It was really, really competitive process. Um, And for some reason, I just just managed to blag the interview Um, and absolutely hated sitting at a desk all day. And we, the office was on the M9 just outside Stirling, if you know that area. So the scenery from the office was amazing, you know, just mountains and outdoors. And, and I just wanted to be outside. Yeah. So, one of my great moments in, in life, I'd been there about just less than a year, decided I really couldn't cope with office work any longer. I, uh, because of my sailing that I've done, you know, kind of through school and in my younger days, I, I continued to take Yachts and Yachting as a, as a magazine that landed in the on the yep. doorstep every fortnight, I think at that point. Yeah. And um, opened it and there was an advert that said, um, um, wanted sailing instructors to um, help develop um, a center in the Mediterranean and I thought, yes, I can do that. <laughs> so I Sign went, me up. In. I got the job, went in and, Explained to my boss, who thought that I was going through this actuarial career, which you may know is one of the most kind of, you know, prestigious careers in the world. You know, you end up making phenomenal amounts of money and all this kind of thing. And walked into the through the door and explained to my boss what I was going to do. And he, I've never seen anybody before or since com- go completely white and have to sit down. He was so shocked that I would give up this, you know, this stellar career to yeah. go. And, It'd be a kind of glorified beach bum in Greece, but <laughs> who was that for? What company was that at the time? Uh, Scottish Amicable at the time. So I'm not sure who they've been bought out by since, but one of them.
0: So it was well biggest... interesting. We had um, you yeah, know we had uh, Pete Tyler on, uh, uh, okay, on the Nielsen yeah. Holidays yeah. for those who are listening yeah. a few podcasts ago, and we we had a rendition of 325 different um, sailing schools on that podcast pretty much so uh, we had <laughs> well,
1: yeah well i mean the the actuarial bit was Scottish scotland and then of course you know the beach bit was was falcon and okay. so pete pip and i started in nidri uh, same day same time same day yes that was it you know we were so we've be... that's a
0: really nice link actually that you know we oh. we've already done a podcast with someone you started work together on a beach like <laughs> Uh, th- probably this podcast is all about beaches. I promise it's not about beaches <laughs> and sailing, but it just happens to be my network, I guess. Um, so, okay, so that's really interesting. So, you 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 you're working on beaches in beach clubs, right? Um, well, they weren't beach clubs then. Well, no, the, <laughs> no, fair, uh, loosely termed. <laughs> we beach had clubs. twelve
1: wayfarers. We had twelve wayfarers. We got him in in them in the morning. No, no rescue boat, no nothing. And we took our complete beginners. To, and found a beach for the day. We went to sleep on the beach at lunchtime, got in them, stuck the spinnakers up, and sailed back again. <laughs> Perfect. It yeah. was, it was and then,
0: awesome. and amazing. And then had beers and a fire on the beach yeah. afterwards. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We used to make mayonnaise in the washing bucket.
0: <laughs> Perfect.
1: We <laughs> had these big buckets on the balcony, and the rest of the week they were used for washing, and then for barbecue, we used to make mayonnaise. And... <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> That's one of the obviously one of the stories that maybe I shouldn't tell, but there are worse. So <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: yeah, we are. <laughs> Anyone see. who's done a season will understand that there are a number of stories that we've either tried to forget, forgotten, or anyway. So
1: yeah, in those days, the regulations were, you know, the whole uh, kind of health and safety around those things was, um, and the whole, you know, kind of regulation was was very very different. Um, and Loose. Yeah, well, it just hadn't been—it just hadn't been tightened up at that point. It was very, very new industry, and I suppose that is really what I've done a lot of my career, um, kind of work in, in emerging industries. Yeah. And what I've learned, kind of life lessons, really, is sometimes it's worth hanging in there. So I didn't with the sailing. I I did four I did four years where I was sailing full time. Then I was one of the first, very first freelance freelance um, coach assessors. There weren't any at that point nobody was making a living out of it at that point and I thought that was a really good idea I didn't need fortunately
0: to make my whole living out of it uh, because I was married by then um but that's quite a you you go through through periods you know you've you've developed the career and you've then you each year you've gone to the next level if you like if you were to put that in a career structure you know the, the the sort of the pinnacle of you know, is or in eyes of many is that, you know, we'll become a freelance trainer and a coach. And I go around, you know, um, training and coaching instructors, setting up centers abroad, you know, doing inspections. <laughs> and, you know, that there's not really much else to go, much further to go other than that.
1: Well, there wasn't, there certainly wasn't at that point. And even then that was very kind of cutting edge in career wise, um, I mean, Pip and Pete, hung in there with the same company um and obviously ended up then running the company but those jobs were just you know just uh, nobody even really knew that they existed at that point so it's very much emerging industry in the same way that the industry that i'm in now is very much emerging industry Um, and the business coaching in between in fact that that kind of bringing um sports into business was was kind of next career and that again was very early days um so it's quite interesting really I've been very
0: lucky <laughs> yeah that, that's because you know obviously you then went for because we, we just touched on this so let's bring that together where mm. you have you, you you've got the skills for teaching sailing you know, and coaching people because the coaching piece mm. is the critical piece and then you've you've pivoted slightly and made a decision somewhere along that journey to do business coaching. So, what was what was the fundamental piece that where you thought I need to switch here? I need to pivot into. What were the, what was the thought process? How did that happen? How did you plan that? Um, there was a step in between that, and the step in between
1: that was um, was having the kids. So I've got four children, as you know, and um, I then and and because I was at that point by then married obviously and living in the Midlands and there weren't commercial sailing schools there were no commercial sailing schools in the Midlands when I moved there so I couldn't continue and stay local um, to um, you know be hands-on with the kids and continue to do the freelance stuff in quite the same way Mm Um, And so I then went and retrained as a teacher and with a maths degree, you know, they were throwing money, the government was throwing money at at maths graduates to get um, get teach at that point. So I trained as a teacher and did a few years teaching in secondary school while the kids were very little. As part of that, I then decided while I've got um, two very small children um, and then subsequently had two more, Thought it was a really good idea to do a master's degree in educational psychology. So,
0: <laughs> are you Elaine? Do you like you? Because obviously, four kids, a job, marriage, um, and you doing a master's. Like, do yeah. you like just being? Like, do you have to have projects going on? Like, you, know, not to fill your day, but to to feel energized.
1: Um. Yeah,
0: I'm not. I, I can't sit still.
1: I'm not very good at sitting still. I, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, I have very high energy and high energy people, I think, kind of need feeding. And yes. you've always got to be feeding with a new project. And also, yeah. I think it's that, um, you know, if you have an entrepreneurial brain, if that's how you're hardwired, then your brain is always doing the next step. Yeah. Um, it's always wanting to go, oh, well, Okay, so I can do that. You know, I'm, I'm probably like you, you know, I have a very, very low boredom threshold. And as soon as I can do something right, okay, that's it, next thing, you know, I'm not a finisher, you know, I can't complete and finish anything to save my life. I mean, thank God I've got a really good team that, you know, and I employ people to do that bit
0: so that I can go off and just think, oh, okay. But you, but, but, you so that's interesting. So I was talking to someone about the same thing the other day, you know, we, you, we're very fortunate, again, we've got, you know, 24 people in now that hmm. you, I can basically come up with all this craziness hmm. yeah. and pass it off. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: and yeah. you're the same, but but we, we hmm. didn't have that when we first started businesses. It's not like a team just appears from somewhere. Like you've got to, you've got to get to that. It's not like, well, here's a team of people that the government's going to bankroll for you. All right, that's <laughs> probably a difficult conversation right now. Uh, but um, nonetheless, um, so let's. So you you become a teacher. You've done a master's.
1: Yeah. So I did my master's in educational psychology. Now what I realized when I did that was that actually my coaching, which you know you kind of come into different careers. What I early stages I separated my careers. I kind of thought I was going into something new, doing something different. But I learned very quickly that actually there's kind of a theme that runs. Through, if you if you allow it to, and so I went into teaching, did my Ed psych masters, and realised how joined up that was with my coaching, and then it was at a point where I think, and this was actually a, um, a, an RYA thing where we did a, a day. I can't, I have no re- memory now of what the context was, but we did a day with Sir John Whitmore, and who's the john whitmore i don't know john whitmore was the first person that brought he was an ex racing driver very successful racing driver and he bought brought basically the grow model of coaching from sport into business and developed the grow model now his book um um is is very i can't even remember the the Coaching for Performance okay. was one of the very first titles and is still one of the ones that's used on a lot of the coaching um, development courses for business. And it was one of the very early titles. And I was lucky enough to work to meet Sir John at a very kind of early stage in all of this moving sports coaching into business. And I began to think, oh, like you do, I might be able to do that. So came back, we went traveling with the kids for a year in um, Australia and New Zealand and came back and thought um, that instead of going back into teaching, I would just try my luck. So I would just pitch my CV into a few companies that were doing doing some business coaching at that point or advertising that that was what they were doing. and, you know, see what happened. Anyway, one of them picked me up and said, yeah, come and work for us as an associate. So I did that and tied that in with doing a, a, a master's, which actually I, I did to postgrad grad diploma um, in coaching and organizational development, which was run, it was part business one through Sir John Whitmore's business um, and also through Portsmouth Uni. And it was one of the, again, one of these very early kind of business uni link-ups um, and did that and that was amazing that was great fun and so I learned loads you know all the kind of you know you, you think you know something about coaching and then you think about oh my god how am I going to translate this and the first thing what my tutor who was um Sue, Sue, um, Sue Slocum who did it, she was the hockey coach England hockey coach at Atlanta when they were very successful women's okay. hockey coach So you know she and I sparked off one another because we knew the the kind of sporting background but I remember one of my very early conversations with her she was saying Elaine you need to bring more emotion into your coaching you need to understand the emotional threads running through the coaching and I'm going "Mm, that's interesting because actually in my sailing world when I've got a bunch of boats going upside down you know in an estuary going down on the tide upside down and my instructors going what am I supposed to do now? I don't care how he feels. You know,
0: I just want him to sort it. <laughs> yes. Well, that comes into, that's not a coaching model. That's sort it out. Let's do it now. That oh, all goes out the window at that point.
1: Um, so that was, that was a kind of a big learning step for me. And then particularly because my business coaching, I took my business coaching and my biggest business coaching success I spent 10, 11 years with Thames Valley Police um, doing a massive piece of culture change work, moving their kind of um, frontline management model, if you like, from a command and control um, uh, methodology into them using coaching as a first-line management style. And of course, initially they would say to me, Well, you don't know anything about, you know, you don't know anything about policing. Um, And I regarded that as a huge weakness to start with. And then I realized that there are so many similarities with coaching, exactly that bit, you know, where you go, actually, at this point, I don't care how you feel about it.
0: Just do it. (laughs) And and it's really difficult, that coaching piece, because actually you probably don't know this, uh, but, when so when you were going into the business coaching thing was Mm. sort of when we were sort of getting to know each other and it was that sort of Uh, okay yeah i guess 2006 to 12 period somewhere Mm. in that period Mm. i guess right and when i when i left the rya and worked for myself when i was looking to pivot you part of the business coaching i was taking the coaching stuff Mm. i was like well elaine did the business coaching well i'll just do the business coaching too um I can do the like and I was like, well, that's fine. And, and actually, that's one of the how we ended up here doing what we do now hmm. because I did some business coaching for someone, and we ended up setting a business up together. Um right. but it was only because you'd done the business, and I was like, Well, those transferable skills, of course, you can you could coach anyone to do anything, yeah. Like, yeah. Genuinely, anyone yeah. can co- if you can coach, it doesn't matter whether it's and I, I suppose we probably both think like this because we're probably similar that way. Yeah. But what, you can train anyone to do anything. If you've got yeah. one skill to teach sailing, coach sailing, you could coach power boating, windsurfing, policing, but mm. interiors, whatever, to a yeah. degree. Would that be it's fair? A
1: really, it's a really, really interesting thing because I believed when I first went into... Business coaching, and I was doing a lot of um, um, culture change work and helping you know people at very senior levels to think through their goals and um, you know and and what they wanted and how they were managing teams and so on. And I thought at that point, because I didn't have a business background, a traditional kind of business background, I'd got no corporate experience, for example. That that was going to be a big weakness, something that would go against me. But of course, what I had, and what I quickly realised that I had, uh, that was very different to the majority of people at that point selling themselves as business coaches. They had a lot of business experience and no coaching experience, whereas I had, you know, all the coaching experience you could possibly want um, in a number across a number of different contexts, um, and. The fact that i got relatively little business experience, in fact, allowed me to ask much better questions yes. because I didn't have any solutions. I didn't know the answers. So I could say genuinely, okay, so, you know, what are you going to do? Because that <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: actually that's one of the biggest questions I find is that people don't, don't ask that one. Yeah. But what does that actually mean? Yeah. Like, okay. You've <laughs> said that, but how? Why? Okay, fine. Move on. Uh, Anyway, okay. So, so I like this. So, so from the business coaching side, you know what you obviously you've transferred those skills, and I think one of the things that I'm keen to understand there is is how did you understand that you had those transferable skills that could be used in a different industry to enable you to pivot into that? What was the sort of key thing that you thought?
1: Um, I think to answer that. If I were going to answer that question with, well, what I thought was, and the plan I made was this, then I am not telling you the truth, (laughs) because actually, I just thought, oh, I think I could probably do that. I know. I'll send a few CVs out and see what happens.
0: (laughs) So so therein lies the thing is, is that you decided that for whatever reason, you thought, well, I can do that. Because you fundamentally believe, and quite rightly so, that you can probably turn your hand to most things that you want to do. Is that true?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, we talk, I have spent a lot of my working life in, you know, in different ways talking about confidence and about, um, you know, things like imposter syndrome. I've done a lot of development at work. around around confidence and particularly confidence for women. And I think that what I knew perhaps about myself, I grew up with two brothers. Um, I was the eldest of three, grew up with two brothers and in a very, very competitive family. My mom was very, very competitive about, you know, just stuff and I was the dim
0: one so I had to learn to compete well you're not a dim one I'm not sure about that with a, yeah. a math degree I'm well not sure that yeah quite exactly. equates, fair. <laughs> um but yeah go on <laughs>
1: so I had to learn to compete so I think what that did then was for me to think hmm, okay well the worst thing that's going to happen if if it doesn't work then the worst thing that's going to happen is somebody get somebody's going to say no Elaine you're not going you're not going to be any good at this we don't need you and i go. Okay, well, next, you know. And, and I think that's a very lucky thing to have kind of inherently. Um, because I think there's an awful lot of people that don't have that, that mind what people say to them or think about them. And I think yeah. that, you know, not, you know, not needing to process that in that way, I think is, is a really good thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Nice. I like that. You know, that, that, that confidence in yourself, the belief that you know you can switch yourself to it, the confidence and do you think that some of that one you just you related that back to your early family days Hmm. but do you think some of that is also when you were let's say you're coaching people to sell and teaching people in an outdoor you you just got to teach random people you have no idea who they are like Yeah.
1: yeah massively massively because you know you know in that in that environment We had, you know, certainly when I started out in Greece, for example, you know, you had a new set of people arriving every week. You'd never met these people. They, you know, they knew nothing about you. You knew nothing about them. They'd come wanting to have a nice holiday and to do a bit of sailing, you know, maybe to learn to sail at the same time. And in those days, it doesn't happen in the same way now, but in those days, the company that we worked for insisted that we sat down to eat with our with our clients and mingled amongst the clients. We weren't yep. allowed to group together as staff. We mingled amongst oh, right. the clients, and that happened, yeah, and that happened three or four times a week. So, you found yourself talking to strangers yes. all day, every day.
0: I, I, I used to get, there was a, where I worked, when I first started, uh, they... Um, you they, they chose different team members to do different things and I was always the one well Andy the new guests arriving you're gonna go and have a meal with them and sit and discuss and chat with them and like clearly they, they deemed me to be the one who was happy to sit down and talk to anyone um <laughs> yes, process yeah. well we all had to do
1: it it wasn't one yeah. team member you
0: know everybody I oh, no they, they were selective
1: oh no 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 we, we all had to do it. it wasn't optional you just did it
0: <laughs> I was happy for the free meal <laughs> <laughs> I we always
1: didn't get free meals in those days.
0: Oh uh, no! So I always had, I always had my uh, ribeye steak, and you know, that was always. They knew what I had every time they're like if Here, get a fillet steak out. That was it. Um, uh, sorry, the ribeye steak, not the fillet. Uh, they knew it. It was great. Anyway, we digress. Like so, the the coaching piece, the business coaching piece. How long did you do that for?
1: Well, I still you have still do I some still now, don't you? Business. I still have a business that does business coaching. I don't, do, I don't seek out new corporate clients through that at the moment. Sometimes people still come to me through my network, particularly if there's a problem, a kind of a high level problem where, what I'm really good at, I think, in my coaching world, or what I get, got my reputation for in my coaching world, was being able to provide quite significant challenge into a difficult situation um but couple that with good supportive skills as well and so you know if somebody is kind of going off rail on on their career because of a you know personal drama would be an example then okay. you know they haul in a lane you know she'll sit down with them whoever it is and go hmm, so just Tell me what you're really thinking about this. You know, I wouldn't be afraid to kind of wade in with both feet and uh, and actually. I don't know what you mean. Having known you, Elaine, I mean, uh, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, do that in a way. Oh, I, but,
0: but, I, but you do it in a nice way.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, I hope so. And certainly, yeah. you know that that it's been, luckily, it's been successful. You know, I can I can point to a number of people in reasonably senior positions in corporate environments that actually wouldn't be there. You yeah. wouldn't be in those senior positions because their career would have fallen off the rails at a much earlier stage and and you know i've been introduced to clients by their hr lead as this is you this is elaine she is your last resort
0: <laughs> sounds like i could have done with you a few times along the journey uh so now what so how did you know, you obviously then set your the coaching business up hmm. what was the you know, um that's not even a word is it what was the uh process to think i've got a, i need to set up a business how am i going to do you what? Well, how did that start
1: well i think i mean for my coaching as a freelance coach when i was sailing i've been a sole trader so i'd worked like that for a long time um so i was used to working with my accountant and doing all the you know all the kind of accounts and whatever i then set up the business coaching business with two other guys we set up a limited liability partnership, again, when they were just just kind of coming into existence. Um, And the process of that really was that I had been working as an associate for another business and because I didn't know how to sell myself, I didn't know how to sell myself into a coaching environment and get big coaching contracts, for example. I didn't know anything about the tender process. So I learned all of that by working as an associate effectively a consultant for somebody else and then i you know i thought okay well i can do this and i can do it you know there that relationship is always difficult isn't it you know when you're you're working as an associate for somebody clearly i was ambitious and was bringing bringing work into them and i felt that i wasn't being rewarded for that or recognized yeah. for that so that was the point when i said mm, actually i'm going to make a break and i'm going to try this for myself Um, Luckily, I've got really good support around me in by way of a kind of just, I mean, my accountant has always been the person that I've bounced off a lot. So set that up um, and just just went
0: for it, really. (laughs) What do you think was the key drive to take that and make that succeed? Uh,
1: I don't like working for anybody else. I would much rather be driving forwards and choosing making choices. I think the other driver or the other thing that's that's meant that the choice about whether to be self-employed or not has been also coloured by the fact that my youngest daughter who um, has just turned 21 but when she was born she was diagnosed at a very early stage with cystic fibrosis Um, and at that point as a working mother I had no idea whether her health would allow me to have a traditional career, if you like, that there was yep. very good reason to imagine that I would need to have significant time off to look after her. Yep. And I thought that being continuing to be self-employed, I never only through my teaching bit was I really employed by anybody else. But um, I I believed then, and rightly as it turned out, that that actually I would be much more flexible around her health and her needs. Um, if, if i if i remain self-employed or if i yeah. so i had to be successful because you know there wasn't
0: really a there wasn't really a second option at that point well, no, it just doesn't <laughs> make, no plan b this is plan a what's plan b Plan A. <laughs> yeah. uh, but coming back, there's, there were something someone said to me a little while ago, you know, uh, you know, people who want to work for themselves are the only people that would you know, work eighty hours for twenty grand rather than work, I, work for someone else I, for forty grand. Your job. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you see where I'm going—that sort of uh, yeah. emphasis. So, okay, so um, we, we sort of let's sort of sort of move. We've gone from the um, window business coaching, and you're now looking. You, you you've then trans gone from there to where you are now, or was there something in between? Yeah,
1: no, that's that's pretty much that's pretty much the story really. So I was running my business coaching business. My um um and the partners have changed over the years, but that still that still runs in the kind of. But I don't seek out new corporate clients at the moment, which I think is where we got to. What yeah. then happened? And through all of this, I was married, the kids were little. Um, whatever, and then in two thousand and three, two thousand three, two thousand four, um, I separated from my property developer husband. Um, and when the when eventually the financial settlement and you know all of those things had sorted themselves out, I came out of that that marriage with a chunk of um, property, part residential, part commercial. Mm. It was 2008 by that time, and I. It just had, goes to
0: show how long that takes to go through, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it was a, yeah, it was a yep. long time for all kinds of reasons, but it was complicated. Yeah, yeah. And and so it's 2008. Suddenly, I've got this chunk of property. I've got four small children to feed, and I didn't really know anything about property except what I'd learned kind of over the kitchen table at home, you know, just chatting over the years. So suddenly, you know, you have to get your shit together, don't you?
0: <laughs> Quite rightly. Yeah,
1: well, mostly because, you know, I had lots of conversations with, you know, all the advisors that were around me at that point. And um, what was I going to do? You know, was I going to sell it? Well, it's 2008, you know, you're you're not going to sell it,
0: darling. Because actually, that's a good point, actually, because that 2008, you know, there was a financial crash, you know, property prices probably plummeted, I guess. Nobody wanted to touch commercial property with a barge pole, so part of
1: the portfolio is commercial. So I just had to grit my teeth and get on with it, you know,
0: nice. and so I kind of because nice. Because actually that that's, you know, many people go through a very similar situation in varying circumstances, but all of a sudden they're at home with the kids. You already had a career. You already had stuff going on, hmm. but you're not like, okay, I need to make this happen. Hmm. Is that fair? Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's worse. You know, your marriage has just fallen apart. You've got, small children, one of whom has a life-limiting condition, you know, all the kind of doom and gloom that sits around that. Um, One of them was so severely dyslexic that he couldn't stay in mainstream school, so he had to make all kinds of decisions. I had to make all kinds of decisions around that. And I've got one business that's kind of running along by itself, but needs quite a lot of me. And then you know, the world stopped. And so part, and, and some of it, the advantage in the coaching world at that point was that actually nobody, all the budgets for bringing in external coaching um fell away. Yep. So a lot of that work fell away at that point. Hmm. Um And so, you know, <laughs> what do you do? So I learned basically that the way to get the best rents and the best sales on my, now portfolio of property was basically to make them look at something that I might want to live in you know although they might, weren't necessarily the kind of property I was going to move into I thought well actually if I were going to live in this as a tenant what would I be looking for so suddenly my properties looked you know looked right at a time when a lot of landlords were being berated for you know letting out horrible properties and I was changing I the kitchen yeah well I was just changing kitchens and bathrooms like they were going out of fashion I spent you know huge amounts of money at that point to um to get things looking you know relatively small rent property but just everything had to look had to look right and then a very good friend of mine moved to Budapest with her husband's job and she, her, their property was um, tenanted. They have, had a lovely four bed house in the village where we were at that point. Mm-hmm. And they had tenants in, tenants moved out. She was living in Budapest, put the house on the market. I drove past and then phoned her and said, Susie, you cannot put the house on the market looking like this. You know, you just can't because nobody's going to buy it. Um, and so basically she said to me, well, I haven't got time to come back and sort it out. You do it. So. (laughs) Well, everyone needs
0: a case study, Elaine.
1: (laughs) I didn't even know. I didn't even know. I mean, bear in mind that in those, you know, at that point, home staging or property staging wasn't even a term that existed, really, not in any real way, certainly not outside London in the UK property market. I didn't know it existed, so I went and sorted that out for her. Property then sold for over fifty grand more than the agents ever thought it was going to fetch. Amazing! In in a really really difficult market, um, I did a similar thing for another friend um, who who kind of said to me, "Just come and have a look at this." She then got thirty grand more from the same people that she'd been previously going to sell to, who'd pulled out for various reasons, saw the house after we'd done it and came back and offered her more money. So <laughs> by then I got a couple of case studies and the agent started, you know, one or two of the local agents just started phoning me and said, hey, could, you come and, could you come and look at this with me? Or could you come and talk to this client? And basically they didn't want to have the difficult conversation that sits between a uh, vendor who wants to get a high offer on their property and an agent who's looking at the property going, oh good lord, I can't sell it looking like this. Um, and they
0: wanted me to stand in the middle of that conversation. So I did that. Just, just on that, and sorry to interrupt you on that, but coming back to the coaching side of what we'd already we've already spent you know, half an hour talking around around that as well. Vital skill right there.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So of course you know I would just then say to the vendor, okay. So you're, you're wanting to get a high offer because your goal is to move on to, you know, this um, this beautiful new property that you've seen, or whatever it was, you know, I'd find out a bit about them first, you know, you we're know, great rapport builders, you know, you know, you'll chat to anybody about um about those things so you build a rapport first and then you start asking the questions about what their goals are and then you say to them so tell me about the houses that you've been looking at on right move and they'll go oh well some of them are beautiful but oh honestly have you seen some of the houses on right move they just look you know people haven't made the beds and they just look horrible they're really dated and go, oh, yeah, i go yeah I've, I've encountered that so um, When you put your property on Rightmove, if when you put yours on, you know, if you take the photos today, if we took the photos today, what do you think you would be seeing on yours? And they'd look round and they'd go,
0: "Oh yeah, I see what you
1: mean." (laughs) I haven't said anything.
0: (laughs) Well, it's part of coaching—is get the person to say whatever you want them to say.
1: Yeah, complete coaching. So people would be telling me through exactly that skill, exactly that skill, what they thought. So I would say, "Mm, okay. so shall we have a look and wander around and see what see what you think we could do to make your photos look better? I tell you what we'll do, bring your camera and we'll do some photos. We go around and then we can see, you know, um, exactly what what it's going to look like.
0: And I mean, now you've got no excuse. You can just do it on your phone.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 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 completely. So we would do all of that. By which time people would be saying, oh, yeah, well, I need to do this and this and this. And of course, the agent is just standing in the corner going, how did you do that? (laughs) Because suddenly, I mean, obviously, they love it because if they get a property that's much more marketable, much more saleable, because what we do doesn't add value, but it significantly increases saleability. And if they've got something that's more saleable, then they're going to get their commission at a higher rate because we know anything. And quicker. Yeah, anything that you're going to sell, sells at its highest price point in very quick time. Nothing yeah. sells at its highest price point if it's on the shelf for a long time. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, just kind of economics of marketing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so they were going to get their commission at a higher level and more quickly. So they love me. Um, so I was doing that underneath my property investment business for a while, maybe two or three years. And then I began to think, I ought to be charging for this. And, you know, I started charging for it. And then eventually I was just being pulled, you know, in all directions, doing that. The business built kind of by itself at that point. Yeah. And my architect, in fact, said, I sat down for coffee with him one day and he said, so... Elaine, Elaine hold
0: on a second. We don't all have an architect. <laughs> so, so just, I think we just need to break that out a little bit. It's not like, it might be, I've got a friend who's an architect, but we don't all have... Oh, my arch- I mean, we've all got an accountant, I can relate to that, but I haven't got to the point of, oh, my architect.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, but bear in mind, I was, I was married to a developer. Yes, I, I,
0: and... <laughs> I'm putting your plonkery.
1: Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I've done a lot of projects. I mean, my houses I've pulled apart, you know, we've completely rebuilt um, several houses as well so I I kind of got the experience of which walls you can pull down and um you know my architect believes very strongly believes that I'm obsessed with drains because always if we start a new project the first thing I say to him so David um how are we going to get the water away from this new roof and I will go oh you're always worried about the
0: drains
1: (laughs) where
0: does that come from though why is that
1: well, I think because I've lived in very old, very damp houses. And if you can't
0: get okay, the water, you're like, just get rid of the water. <laughs> Probably, yeah. okay. right. Get rid of the water first. So really, this new business has sort of, you know, over time has just gradually organically grown before. It was, so it wasn't like, okay, well, let's set up a new business today. No. It was something that had organically grown for a few years almost
1: yeah it organically grown for about three or four years and then and then this conversation over coffee with my architect was he said to me then which was kind of a a, a, one of those sit-up moments that you remember in business and he said elaine are you going to do this on purpose or not because if you're going to do it on purpose then do it on purpose you know set up aim to grow the business decide where you're going with it and get on with it. He said but but you can't just kind of faff around with it forever. Which I think was the difference between you know being somebody if he'd been wrapping it up a bit more he would have said you know elaine are you, are you looking for a hobby business in this are you looking for a lifestyle business are you looking for something that you can build and exit you know where are you going with this yeah. and that was pretty much that conversation and i went away obviously and thought about it and thought um, actually i need to, to do this if i'm going to do it i'm going to do it on purpose and again you know those scary moments because you're in a completely emerging market nobody else or very very few people are doing this we're doing this in the uk um which gives opportunity and obviously huge threat you know yep.
0: it's kind of both sides well, because people don't want to pay for it it's something they've never heard of they don't want to pay for it that's the first okay. thing they're like yeah. "Well, why would i pay for that yeah. that's the key thing
1: yeah. and i i dragged in um kate who was a um an estate agent friend she was running a an office for knight frank in birmingham at that point and i dragged her over for coffee and said to her, So I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And she looked at me and she said, Well, I can't sell you into my clients because how can I tell them that their house looks such a mess that they need somebody like you to come in? She said, I just don't think that's you know that's never going to work. So I said, okay then well you know let's you know I'll have a think about it and you know think about how we might wrap that up and you know just kind of went away and thought about that over it. anyway three years later Kate jumped ship from the office that she was working for at that point and now she works for me so she's she heads up my sales
0: team so fantastic Fantastic. because did she then find that you you could say to clients well you should probably stage this
1: is that um yeah she yeah yes yeah 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 she then got to the stage of most of my agents most of the agents that we work with don't don't say to people i think you should stage this most of them say one of the things that we can offer as a premium agent one of the things that we would like to offer you is the opportunity to have a consultation with somebody who specializes in the presentation of property coming onto the market would you like them would you like me to ask them to give you a call and that's how we train the agents if you like that we work with that's what we want them to be saying we don't want them to sell our service in no, we're no. very good at doing that ourselves yeah we've got you know all the all the tools in the box to to be able to do that and we equally We want to go in. We know that we can make a significant difference to virtually every house that's coming onto the market because people live in houses in the way that they live in houses and it's not the way that houses then photograph at their best. So we can make a difference to most things. Yeah, but we don't. So we just ask the the agents to introduce us as part of their USP, if you like, of being a premium agent in that yeah. area.
0: So I think there's another another takeaway there from you know what you were saying is you know you're you're thinking about okay, so I'm I'm, I'm going to set up this business. I'm going to do it on purpose. So if you're going to do something, don't faff around with it. Make a decision that this is what you're going to do and make yeah. it happen. First part. I
1: think yes, I think there comes a point where that's what you have to do.
0: Yeah and then and then you then okay then you're then thinking well okay how do i get that you know who who's the market and you've identified estate agents makes perfect Mm. sense Mm. so you've then got a friend who's an estate agent you've had a conversation with and a coffee with Mm. so that that you've had a conversation around getting excuse me i'm getting some advice and some information to Mm. think you know how would you do it you know what what a sort of Pluses and minuses. Is that is that well? Sort of interestingly, she
1: told me she told me not to, and another estate agent friend um, from the sailing club who runs a big agency locally across the Midlands um, said a pretty similar thing.
0: <laughs> okay, so again, so hold on. So th- 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 this is really interesting because you know p- estate agents are telling you, "Oh, we can't sell it. Like it's just not going to happen," because yeah. they weren't. I'm guessing that they weren't educated on the benefits from their side and the, the homeowner stage because it was so new. Is that fair?
1: It was so new because you couldn't even use in the early days, you couldn't even talk about home staging because it was aligned with a very American concept. Yep. Um. And, and it was kind of fake, if you like, you're faking reality. But,
0: but new homes do it every day.
1: Well, and also, you know, you put your suit on to go to an interview, or you clean your car before you take it to to to, to the car dealer to sell it, don't you? Yep. But we don't. We have a bizarre relationship with property in this country. Yeah. And you know, traditionally, people would wake up in the morning, and think, "Oh, I think I might sell the house. I'll phone the estate agent." You'd pop round in the afternoon, take a few photos on a on a um, phone and stick it on right move and hope for the best you know I mean that does a lot of agency a huge disservice which isn't my intention but but you know things estate agency was was quite traditional at that point I think it's had a lot of shake-up since then for all kinds of different economic reasons and political reasons clearly but so if people are telling you no
0: I don't think this is going to work why did you carry on?
1: Same reason as I got a job as an actuary straight out of straight out of uni because um, everybody at uni, you know, the whole all the careers advisors said um, this is the hardest career that you can possibly, you know, you won't you won't get through an interview. They never employ women straight out of uni. Blah blah blah, all of those things. And I came out of uni with three job offers to go and be an actuary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Fantastic.
1: Same reason as i forget hung there beating that particular brick wall about um about women in coaching in, in, in the sailing world.
0: Yeah you? yeah 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 banging that drum just keep doing it.
1: I somebody yeah, tells yeah, me no, right. I go, really? Are you sure? Yeah.
0: We can change some minds here. So I'll just if, hang in there for 30 years and see what happens. <laughs> so we're we're fast running out of time and I want to get to a couple on, of different go. bits. So the first one is is with the um, well, we've already mentioned like the coast. So one of the things that I, I externally looking in think you've been really successful at it with this business is, is sort of a PR route, PR getting a huge amount of uh, press attention in various different forms. Mm. So, I mean, obviously there, there's many different routes to growing a business. Mm. Um, that's just one of the visualize I've seen on what you've done, presuming that was intentional um, it, um you, know, why that route? Why you? Know, and I, I'm sure you've got different, lots of different avenues. But what, what about that piece specifically? Have you, have you picked up on that's worked really well for you?
1: I think these days, particularly what I have learned is that before you can grow a business, you have to grow a brand and you have to grow both brand recognition and personal recognition because people like to know who they're dealing with. They like to have a face to it. Um, And as part of our building the brand, initially we worked with with a local PR agency who were good at just getting us exactly what they said they would do and some local PR and then um, I decided that there was more opportunity in the market, really, than that, and engaged this year, in fact, um, a, a PR agency who promised us that they could get national press, who promised us that there was all kinds of opportunities out there for what we did, that it was so new, you know, lots of people would be interested, that there's always such a strong interest in a property market in the uk yeah. um, that that there would be all kinds of opportunities and they've been amazing and we've worked really well with them this year in a very difficult year one of my hardest decisions was when i was furloughing staff in march when the property market just closed and we couldn't work
0: yeah
1: um, so i furloughed my team or by myself and one other person Um, But I kept on our PR guys. So I kept on the PR agency that we use. And of course, what then happened through all of that was they they worked their socks off for us um, because they were really pleased to be retained by, um, you know, relatively speaking, a small business. and, um, and so we've had great stuff, but of course you have to feed them the content. You know, I mean, we've done some interesting things this year, so yep. you know, I've launched um, my book and, and also the first app worldwide that evidences return on investment of staging. So, um, you know, so- Fantastic.
0: Been- so let, let's, let's not skip over those. So let, let's go to the book first of all. So obviously the PR's, the PR's worked well, well. So in your mind, let, let, before we get to the book, What put in your head, I need a book?
1: (laughs) Okay, I am met at a couple of property conferences, a guy called Daniel Priestley. Have you met Daniel? Have you come across him? Right, okay, read everything he's written. Um, um, And as part of um, what he calls his key person of influence, strategy for for developing a business one of the themes of that is to publish and he gives very good kind of messaging around how to do that and what you might do to do that to become uh, you know kind of somebody who's who's looked at as as a person of influence in your industry so i decided right okay well there's nobody else doing it um, you know, nobody else has published in the UK. There is virtually no literature that's vendor facing, so facing, you know, that a homeowner can pick up that tells them what to do to get their property ready. Yep. There are a number of books that talk to would-be home stages but almost nothing that talks to um, a vendor about what they should be
0: doing to start yep. so, so I thought, okay, well, that's the book I'll write. Hold it up, because I know I know you're gonna have a copy there. So sell Perfect. high, sell fast. Perfect. So How you to sell you, your home for the best
1: possible price in the quickest possible time.
0: Which is what we all want to do when we sell our house. Well, of course. Like, yeah. Yeah. Let's keep it simple and easy. We want to flog our house and we want to get as much money for it. That's well, because
1: it. Because then it allows you to do the next thing in life, don't you? You know, moving <laughs> house is a life stage. It marks the, start, the end of one life stage and the start of the next one. Why would you not want to be in the best possible financial position to go and do that?
0: Totally agree. So let's just talk about writing the book. So, you know, you've got this idea because it's all very one thing about saying, I want to write a book, I'm going to write a book or having that decision. Was this like your lockdown project? No, it was
1: before that. (laughs) Um, So we go into, the property market is always a little bit quieter kind of this time of the year. Yeah. Back end of the year and um, early, early, very early part of the year. So I decided um, this time last year, just maybe November last year. Right? Okay, I'm going to write my book. And we'd always joked in the office. You know, we joked in the office, like you probably do. You, I'm sure you've done the same. You know, I know you. You're bringing your book together now, but you, but you know, the, the, you joke in the office when we write the book this is what we'll put in it. So unbeknown to me, the girls have kept a file um, in in our um, cloud-based system. And so when I said, right, okay, I'm going to sit down and write the book, they said, oh, there's a whole load of notes and stories in there. I'm going, whoa. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Plus, obviously we've been blogging and doing all the things that you do. So there was quite a lot of content to go on and I decided, right, okay, over Christmas, this last year, I'm going to write my book. So I wrote on the board in the office, you know, this is about goals. So going back to the coaching, you know, you have to have your goals. So I know from doing my masters and stuff that I write at a thousand words an hour. So I said to myself, right, okay, so, and and, and I've been told that the best length for a business book like this was between 30 and 35,000 words. So I said, okay, well, if I write 3000 words a week, then I'll get this book done in 10 weeks fantastic I can do that that's only two months maybe some weeks I can do a bit more so I I wrote I wrote all that you know 3,000 words per week on the on the board in the office on the whiteboard and um, so I had no excuse you know I had to stick to it so I would then say to the team right okay don't call me until 10 o'clock this morning because from five I I, I get up very early so from five until 10 I'm writing so you know and obviously you have to do a bit of thinking in that and Drink about six cups coffee
0: in my world. <laughs> I was going to say drink some wine, but between five <laughs> to ten in the morning is perhaps a bit early, even for me. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> There's a five somewhere. It's five o'clock somewhere, isn't it? There you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So I just so I just sat down and wrote it, and writing it was really um, not that not that difficult. The writing process wasn't that difficult. The difficult things there were two difficult things. One was finding my voice in the early chapters because my the early chapters of the book are really the kitchen what I call the kitchen table conversation talking to people about why they need to do something different to get their best sale now to the way that property was bought and sold kind of 15-20 years ago pre-internet pre- um pre um you know online marketing of property pre all of that kind of thing so the first couple of chapters explain the need for all of that the kind of instagram generation the people that are going to be buying their home are looking at homes very differently and it was hard to find my voice in the beginning so i kind of launched in at chapter three and started telling people what color to paint their walls and why they should why they should remove the dead animals off the walls before they sold and you know all the things that people do in the houses and why they ought to you know just um um throw out the carpets and pick up the knickers off the floor and you know all the things that you just go into houses and you go really
0: <laughs> you've got to wonder haven't you
1: and then I was extraordinarily lucky because through our through my networking and um some of the conversations that we had had through the business, I met a woman called Jane Dowell, who's a freelance um, journalist who writes a lot of stuff for the time, property stuff for the Times and um, House Beautiful, you know, a lot of the magazines and the the property press. Mm. And I had developed enough of a relationship with her, kind of chatting to her, to be able to have the cheek to say to her, Jane, look, would you mind awfully if I sent you a chapter and you just came back to me and said, you know, I know it doesn't work. I don't know why it doesn't work. Come back and tell me what else I need to do. And she basically ended up she write. She unbeknown to me, she teaches journalistic writing as well. And she took the whole book, went through it with a fine tooth comb with a you know, red pen equivalent, you know, said yep. you know, this, this, this and this. And I rewrote whole great chunks of it with her help, which was amazing. And so then, and and that kind of whole rewrite editing, I had really good publishers. I worked with a company called Rethink Press. We do a lot of business publication and just really, really good publishers. Um, And they were so supportive through the whole of this kind of real pain of, um, you know, you've kind of, it really is I, I've described it and in timeline it's very much like having another baby you know you kind of have this the beginning of it is really fun it's really exciting you know and, and 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 there you've got the conception which is you know you've got this embryonic book if you like and then you have I hated being pregnant and it was a bit like that you know just going through that whole
0: we went through a few times
1: yeah I know I hated it <laughs> I hated small babies too, but I, the kids are, were amazing. Once they got to about eighteen months, they were lovely. So. <laughs> but then, then doing the reviewing and the editing and getting the book to to print was that whole very painful, just exhausting process. Um, but I had a lot of help along the way, and I, you know, and I made some really good relationships along the way, some really good friends along the way. So,
0: <laughs> so do you basically say that? you should publish a book or or make a book or to make you as an authoritative figure in your industry, for want of a better word. I
1: I think it's been an interesting thing because, you know, as we've said, I'm pretty confident to start with, but it gives you a whole new level of confidence because when people say to me, you know, or say to us, oh, you're too expensive. Why should we work with you? I can get what you do much cheaper from blah, blah, blah. I can say, well, of course you can get it much cheaper with so-and-so down the road, but what you have to remember is that we are now regarded as the authority on this subject. I wrote the book, we developed the app. I have also developed um, the accreditation for home stages that we're now going through a whole process of that as well. So we do the training, everybody else comes to us.
0: So you can get it cheaper, go for it. Absolutely, yep. Oh, that's, and that's, um, there's something called the uh, product, the category king. So what you want to do in emerging markets is set yourself up so you are the category king. The category king typically has 80% of the market share mm. when they go forward. Now, at that point, if you are the, once you're the category king or household name, mm. you basically, I'm not saying you charge what you like, but you get to a point where you, you, you control the category. So you are the category king in that industry because you've put all those different things into place. Which yes, is absolutely. Exactly. Key piece to do.
1: Creating your assets. I mean, that's what we're doing now. That's what I've spent a lot of time doing over the last year or so. Just building all the assets up in, into the business to so that we, we've got things that we can point to. And what I want is not to be chasing leads, if you like. And you know that, you know, early stages of a business, you spend your life chasing leads, you spend your life pinging out marketing, you don't know where it lands, um, all of that kind of thing. I want to be able, I want to be in the position, and increasingly we are, we are in the position, of being able to sit at my desk, somebody will pick up the phone and say, Elaine, I've got this property that wants that I need to get onto the market, it's going out at X value. In my mind, I think, yeah, okay, so that's our market. Um, I need you to help.
0: And I go, okay, this is how much it will cost or, you know, whatever. Because presumably presumably on the cost front, Elaine, sorry, Hmm. is that presumably, you know, clearly you don't know what house is going to turn up tomorrow. Therefore, you don't know how much furniture you need. You've got to have a range of size of beds, a range of size of sofas, a range of, of lamps, shades, Coffee tables, dining room tables. I mean, I mean, we've got warehouses. Yeah, we've got warehouses all over Europe now, which is amazing. But you must have a warehouse full of stuff. <laughs> Ten thousand like, square foot at the minute. Okay, fantastic. Um, yeah. you know, so that's a big piece of kit one to invest in. Yeah. Right? But you must have all this different size stuff.
1: Yeah, 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 and because we. There are furniture rental companies and we could go okay. and do third-party rental and in some cases and certainly for the expansion model we will use some third-party rental but what what building our own inventories enabled us to do is then to be very very flexible because we don't work with um because the majority of our houses aren't new build we do do quite a lot of new builds they tend to be kind of high-end new builds where a developer's doing three or four on a plot perhaps very niche properties which are yeah. lovely but again even they don't fit a standardized furniture model no. so we've had to build an inventory which is is eclectic to say the least you know
0: <laughs> sounds like my ideal furniture <laughs>
1: Well, i mean this week for example we've been working in a property that's about ten thousand square foot very beautiful property that been... will go onto the market um and it's it's a lived-in property but there are gaps in the furniture so there are you know there are things where um we've we've reduced this week we've reduced the number of bedrooms from 13 down to seven because A seven-bedroom property is much more marketable than a 13-bedroom property. But, of course, those extra... Unless you want a hotel. Well, unless you want a hotel, yeah. And this isn't the right place to be a hotel. So those other six bedrooms have to become studies or sitting rooms or games rooms or gyms or whatever. So we have to then suddenly be able to bring in all of those accessories to make them into something that isn't a bedroom. So, So, yeah, and we have... You know so we have stuff and then it's got to look as though it's going to go out at the value it is, you know, which yeah. is um, somewhere so, north of two and a half million,
0: you know. Which is a significant amount of cash you want to make sure oh, you sell sure. it, right? So, oh, sure. so you've done all these bits and you got to where you are now, right? So what's the next step? What what's the next bit in the in the the lane? You know, whether that's lime, whether this, you, know, I'm not asking you to divulge whether you're selling or like anything like that, but sort of you know, where do you sort of see those next steps? Do you have a franchise model in mind? Do you you where are you thinking? What's the next
1: what, thing for line?
0: Where all my friends are retiring. <laughs> and they keep going Oh, exactly. You know,
1: I'm retiring and coming traveling with us. Okay,
0: sorry, what <laughs> You can retire if you have got someone to run it. That's 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 the ultimate goal, right? You you can't, put can't you? Sell
1: it. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. But you, you know, I think while your brain is still engaged with it, that would be very hard because you're still kind of, you know, you're still you're still coming up with crazy ideas on a on a daily basis. Exactly. So what we what we have literally just done um, is to move all of the um, all of the intellectual property into a separate company, which now what that will do is allow us to um to have associates that work with the brand in different areas so that's the that's the model that we're that we're um that we're working on for early part of next year so i'm
0: very excited about that so that's amazing so Um, presumably you'll then provide the training they can use your stuff yeah, so I'm yeah. back then to my to my
1: coaching essentially. Yeah, so it's full circle because I'm now setting up, you know, looking at what we need to do to set up training programmes. So I've got a sales sales day tomorrow where we unpick our whole set and um, our whole sales process so that we can then create that to be able Camped. to train other people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. That
0: that um I mean we're going through that here, that not to do what you're doing, but to systemize. Mm yeah the whole process so yeah. that literally you know if we're going to a new warehouse mm-hmm. here, here's how you set up a new warehouse here's the manual for go sort it out clearly we'd not do that but that's sort of process that yes. you know, here's the yeah. sales process you're welcome to the sales team here's your sales bible crack yeah. on yeah, like, yeah exactly. Crucial, we, isn't exactly we've done
1: that we've systemized pretty much everything else that we do, interestingly. So the whole kind of customer journey, if you like, is systemized and, and, you know, all of that. And then, but then suddenly, you know, you're bringing new people into the, essentially the sales team and you go, well, how do we do that? You know, how do we pitch? What do we say?
0: You know, what are we telling people as a brand? You know, who are we targeting? So yeah. It's that, that, you it's the statement that has to sound like it's come from you, delivered by somebody else that it's that messaging isn't it it's like well look here's what I want you to say but you can make it slightly your own words but but this is what you gotta say
1: (laughs) (laughs) without it sounding like a sales script
0: (laughs) yes you know because you know you we have you we have a number of sentences if you like Mm. that are our pitch like you know you we we sell high, sell fast, sell fast, sell high. Hold on, which way around was it? Sell high, sell fast. <laughs> sell high, sell fast. That's what you like. That's it. Yeah. Oh, by the way, we've got a book on it if you want to buy on Amazon or wherever it might be. Um, so yeah, interesting. Okay, so if in in that journey, if someone was about to start a business, like they're they they're in an early stage, they're working for someone, they're they're like, I'm an entrepreneur, I know I've got this, right? And similar to you and I, they're thinking, okay, I know I can do this, I I can turn my hand to anything, but I haven't really got a clue what I want to do. But for those listening who haven't got a clue what you want to do, just be patient, it'll it'll arrive. Um, But outside of that, Elaine, what are like the three things that you would say Um, you know you need to think about when you're setting up a business in order to put the success blocks in right at the beginning and I'm not talking about you design a logo like you what are the what are the basic steps you go like in order for you this business or other business to have been successful these are three things I did each time or these are three things I learned every time that I got better at like what would they be
1: I think Like many entrepreneurs and like people who believe that they can start a business, in the early stages, we all believe that setting up a business is about getting your designer logo, if you like, and going out there and selling yourself and telling everybody how amazing you are and they'll all come to you. And of course, you you and I know that...
0: That doesn't happen. I like that. (laughs) So I
1: think the, the difficult part for me like many people I think setting up businesses with that kind of brain is to sit down and do your planning first. You absolutely have to go through the agony of writing business plans, of pinning down your financials, all of those things, and the bits that you're not good at or can't sit still long enough to do, which is mostly my problem then find somebody that you can work with that will help you with that, whether that's your accountant, whether you find yourself a business coach that specializes in that area, whatever it is, but do it so that you have the whole, particularly the financial plan before you start, because from there, you can you can make
0: sensible decisions. Yeah, um, can I just add one thing to that though, hmm. is if you put out that plan, and I, I know we're going slightly off topic and in interrupting you, sorry, but if you do put a plan in place, and you, you, we, we all put the best plan in the world together, and an opportunity arises during that, don't be afraid to deviate away from the plan slightly, if it's still going to get you to where your goal is. Yeah. If, if an opportunity, you because sometimes we've that's not that's not my plan. No, it might not be in your plan, but all plans can be adapted and modeled as they go forward. Sorry, I, can, I needed to just say that because it's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think some people yeah, just,
1: you are absolutely right. As long as it fits with your goals. Now, I think there are two types of brain that we're talking about here one is the kind of person that's going to do the planning and Absolutely stick rigidly to the plan because that's the plan and that's how they're going to build the business. And I would strongly suggest that that's not somebody that has an entrepreneurial brain. The entrepreneurial brain will go, right, okay, so I've done the plan, I've got through the plan. Ah, oh, now, oh, look, there's another opportunity over there. Ah, oh, let's go and see what's happening.
0: <laughs> I used to call that. I was I used to genuinely say that I was crippled with opportunity. Yes. Because I had so many ideas going. Yeah. That I yeah. was just crippled by them. I just yeah. there was just so much. Yeah. yeah. And that's hard, isn't
1: it? You know that yeah. is hard. Just learning to kind of just just kind of distill the noise into something yes. that you can actually then action. Otherwise you've got so many things going on at the same time that
0: Yeah. No. interesting coming back to what i said a moment ago if anyone's stuck on business ideas i do have a list of them that i have of all the things that i've come up with over the years that are just waiting to go so get in touch i can i can send you a list um, anyway sorry go on so that's do something else <laughs> yeah. so that's the first one planning uh getting the financials right and making sure that's all tight
1: yeah i think make sure you've got a strong network around you because whether that's family, friends, um, whether it's your advising team, whoever you need in your advisory team, because running a business, especially at the early stages when you're doing it largely by yourself, can be a very lonely place um, and a very scary place and if you haven't got a good network around you and people who will say to you, come on, let's go and think about something else for a couple of hours. It's really hard to do that for yourself um, to start
0: with. I have something there called proximity is power. So you surround yourself with people that are, so you. Know, if think about it you know, in many different ways, but you know, if you surround yourself with people that smoke, you're probably gonna smoke. If you surround yourself with people to go to the gym, you're probably gonna go to the gym. If you surround people yourself with people to go sailing, you're probably gonna go sailing. Whatever that is, and business is no different. If you're surrounding yourself with people who are running businesses and making stuff happen that inspire you at the same time so that proximity is at power is absolutely critical yeah totally so that. that's amazing
1: yeah and finding yeah. people who are, have either done it already or are on the same kind of pathway that you're on and just bouncing off people you know just reach out you're not you know yeah. you're not going to make a successful business by sitting at home in your cupboard well very few people do i mean i think there are some who have done in kind of an IT world but you, you know it's much less normal yeah, yeah. To, to make a good business by sitting in a cupboard and, and keeping your fingers crossed really. Okay perfect yeah. and third one? Um, interesting what would be my third? Honestly I think just be brave you know grit your teeth There will be real ups and downs in any kind of business journey, real ups and downs. And I think celebrate the ups and know that the downs will pass. You know, just hang in there, stick to your plan. If if your plan really isn't working, be prepared to flex your plan. But know that it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be straightforward. The chances are very high in the first few years that you won't make any profit. You know, the number of people that come to me and say, oh, I want to do what you do. And I, you know, and and then they'll show me a business plan which shows amazing profit in the first year. And I'm going, seriously? you're paying yourself and you make a profit and it's year
0: one. <laughs> yeah. Get to the real world, my friend. There ain't <laughs> no money in any business in the first two years, at least. <laughs> so um,
1: be realistic, yeah. Um, but be brave about it and just, and just hang in there.
0: Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Elaine, that's amazing. Uh, so um, I think there's a huge amount there that I'm going to, I'm going to pull out some of those, some of my favorite bits, if that's okay. So thank you very much. So, Um, I think the first one uh, we talked about was um, you. You, some people just hang in there, and it all just sort of happens, and people stick around. And we then talked about going into those transferable skills. You know that how you use those skills coming from. Yeah, if you hang in there, you know we have all got people who we know have stayed in the industry. You coming back to sailing, you know I can think people I've worked with. You, they're where they are because they've just been there the longest. You know they're they're the last man standing and they're the last one of all the experience in their head that's why they're there um now i appreciate that's not in every case because there are some amazing individuals out there uh but you know you you then using those transferable skills and i think if we come back to that coaching piece i mean both of us Hmm. have used coaching throughout our um careers in varying ways every single time you know but those coaching skills are absolutely critical. So anyone out there that has a skill in um, sailing, gymnastics, horse riding, football, whatever it is, go and learn to coach it. Go and become a coach and go and teach people because those skills are going to be fundamentally useful going forwards in every way, shape or form. Even if it's, I mean, even from sales. So actually, the I did sales before I did well, I talked sailing and kayaking, but I then got into sales. And actually the skills for sales are the same skills for coaching. Mm. You're just asking people questions. Mm. You build a report and you ask people some questions. That's it. The outcome for some of those is slightly different because the outcome for sales is you want to make a sale. The outcome for coaching is you want someone to tell you something. But for sales, you want them to tell you they want to buy it. (laughs) It's sort of, the skills are the same. You know, it's not... That difficult, okay. And then okay, do it on purpose. If you're mm. gonna do something, say, I'm gonna do it. Don't don't just sort of go along with the process. Go, okay, I'm actually gonna make this a success. I'm mm. gonna, you know, I'm not saying that before you weren't making a success, but you're making a, deci- a, a decision to say, I'm here and we're gonna take this forward. Mm. And, you know, people don't do that because they're scared that it's not going to happen or well if i just carry on doing it just as i'm doing it it's fine because that way they can't fail <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes yeah. you know that's it, it, sort of what happens um okay so then um i think you mentioned about branding a brand point and you know, we, we then talked about pr but you know about building a brand around the business and you know, or brand building a business around the brand and a face Mm. because people can hang their hat on some of those things yeah really really important and then the pr piece then came into well you know create you using a pr agency to put yourself to market but obviously finding the right pr agency you know we've We've not done any of that in, in our business, but I've done them in other businesses. Mm-hmm. And it's about finding the right PR agency that's going to work for yeah. you. Yeah. Not necessarily just picking one off the shelf because that won't yeah. work. Um, loads. It, it has to be the right thing. And, and, and if it doesn't work quite first time round, you might find another one. We didn't mention mm-hmm. that, by the way, but I guess that, yeah, that's critical. <laughs> sort of, but, um, because, you know, it's like it's like ads. You know, we've worked with a couple of ads agencies over the years. Some haven't worked but some have just worked. Like, it doesn't mean say, oh, well, no one's going to buy our stuff by doing Google ads or ads or whatever, but it will work. You just got to find the right people to support you. And then we talked about a book, and I loved, you talked about a gentleman called Daniel Priestley, so I'm going to look that up. Um, but he, you know, the methodology of, of making yourself as the authoritative figure in the industry is absolutely key. And I love that. So, you know, we've all, we, we all talked to, about that earlier. Um, but that's certainly something we're doing that I'm definitely going to be taking, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think I've talked about this on some of my drive times, actually, for those that have listened to those is you know, we've, we've built that from doing webinars, We've done the webinars, we've recorded them, and we've just transcribed them. So actually, coming to the content piece that Elaine was talking about, you, know, we've actually taken a lot of that out. We've still got to go and review that, obviously, and that's where the Elaine's clearly told me that's where the pain comes. So um, excellent, I've got that to look forward to. Uh, and then the three key things that you 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 came away with one is setting up business about the planning and the, and the and the the finances and making sure that's right. I added in you. Know, You don't be afraid to to switch that or adapt the plan as you progress. And I think the other thing that we both have done is execute the plan. It's all very well having a plan, but it's pretty pointless. If you're like, I'm going to set up a business, I'm going to do this. If you never do it, you never execute it, you ain't never going to make that happen. Like regardless of the numbers you put in there, because we all overestimate how much money we're going to make in that first three-year business plan. I can guarantee we'll all put, yeah, I'm going to do 50 grand, 100 grand, a million pound, whatever it is, none of it, divide it by five, at least, right? And you're going to be somewhere broadly. I need to come up with an exact number for that. I think that'd be good. But anyway, the planning and finance is absolutely and execute on it. Second one, build a network around you. The proximity is power thing, both of local business owners, you know, people that you trust, people who can advise you. And I wouldn't necessarily say Depending on your network, not always that's going to be your friends and family because your friends and family will always. Siri didn't have a clue what I was talking about there. Apologies. Um, (laughs) So, uh, but but family and friends will always give you one skew. They're either going to tell you, it's amazing, you're great, go for it, and the idea is crap. Or they're going to tell you, the idea is crap, don't bother, don't waste your time. And it actually is a good idea. And I'm not saying every family or friend is like that. But people are scared by their own um, inhibitions, and they're, they're worried about their own self. Mm. And actually, being you know, what you want friends to say, I have no idea how you're going to do it, but I'm going to support you and clap you every single step of the way and just cheer you on. Like that's generally what you want from your friends and family. That that you know. So if you're friends or family and you've got people doing just go, I have no idea how you're going to do it. Bloody good luck to you, and I'm going to cheer you on from the sidelines. And if I can help, I'll help um that's all you need from family and friends um as far as i'm concerned um, and then the last thing again was probably linked into that is about being brave like how just go and make it happen and don't be frightened just keep going for it because it will happen consistency is the key um i know i've pretty wrapped that up in i hope i've gone through all that i think there was a few others in there but that that's my key takeaways because i love all of those um so so elaine um Thank you very much for your time. But before we wrap up or get anywhere they like, because I know every single person who's listening to this will buy a house at some point and will definitely sell a house at some point. The odds tell us. So 99% of people listening to this are going to um, buy and sell a house. Um, I don't know what the stats are actually on you know, people only buy one house. You probably know that better than me. I, I don't I'd love know to actually, that. there
1: aren't very many people who only buy one house. I mean of course renting is much more common now but it, you know in this country which it didn't used to be even in the high end so I guess you know it may be that people only buy one house but generally people will buy and sell a house
0: at least once in their in their lifetime. And if you're a business owner you should be looking to invest in certain things, now property may or may not be your investment option whatever that happens to be, Um, But if you are going to invest in property, then you're going to need home staging. Um, And because as you grow that, you're going to need to expand that and make that capitalise. So, Elaine, give me, first of all, um, where people can get hold of you. Um, That's the first thing. Secondly, um, about the app, because we didn't touch on the app. And I apologise because we were running out of time. So a bit about the app. And thirdly everyone's going to need the book so you know where people are going to buy the book and where to do that in fact I've got apologies make because I was going to buy the book I went to Amazon it didn't work for me on Amazon when you launched it um, I think I actually wrote a review on the book I don't think I actually got the book so that'll be my action oh. to take away to get that um because uh, I thought I ordered it thinking about it I don't think I ever got it um, that's not because of Elaine I think that's because of Amazon um <laughs> just so we're very clear um, and clearly, there was my inept ability to deal with Amazon. Ironic for an e-commerce business that deals with <laughs> Amazon. Uh, however, um, so, Lange, give me those pieces, um, where people can get in contact with you uh, about the app and where they can buy your book. Okay,
1: very quickly then. The website is lemonandlimeinteriors.co.uk. Um, we're on all the social media platforms um, as well in various guises around Lemon and Lime Interiors. Um, website has all the links through and all the contact details. So my contact details, um, if you want to get in touch directly, are on there. The app is something called Stageflow, which is the first um, app in the world that evidences return on investment of property staging for, um, for vendors, um, estate agents, home stagers. So we're very excited about that. We've done a soft launch so far. We're going to do a much bigger launch um, next year on that because we know that there's a worldwide market from that, from the approaches we've had so far, which is very exciting. And then the third thing, the book is called Sell High, Sell Fast by Elaine Penhall. And you can get it on Amazon. It's on Kindle and in paperback at the moment. And we're just working on the audio version.
0: I, was, I mean, I listen to audio books all the time, so right. that was going to be my question. Is it audio and is it you talking of Elaine? <laughs> no. Oh. Yes, it will be audio. Will I was going to spend audio. eight hours listening to Elaine.
1: <laughs> but I was asked, it's the most, one of the most bizarre emails I've ever had. I'm sure the publishers messaged me the other day and said, Elaine, what sort of voice would you like to, to voice over your book? Okay. I don't know, is that a thing? They said, we'll
0: send you samples.
1: <laughs> That's exciting, isn't it?
0: <laughs> so I'm, in, I'm interesting to know what you went for.
1: Well, I, I, we haven't settled on one yet. Oh. We haven't settled on one. I'm waiting on the samples coming through. So.
0: Okay. <laughs> I want to know. As soon as you've settled on that, I want to know. We
1: talked about relatable accents. I'm still struggling between whether it ought to be um, uh, uh, a man or a woman to do it. But I need to hear them, I think, before I make that decision.
0: <laughs> yes. It's a shame because in an ideal world, what you'd actually do is do two. Do the man, do the woman, uh, and then see which one you get a better. In fact, that's what you should do. You well, should do I did. Chapter. I had all of this conversation. Uh, <laughs> I did. I had all uh, of this. But, but clearly, there's a cost in cost. doing that. Yeah, there is and, a you know,
1: cost. There has to be yeah. a balance.
0: Yeah. I'll read it for you. It's fine. That's okay. cell, I can assure you. Uh, so, uh, fantastic. Elaine, uh, I'm hugely grateful for you giving up your very valuable time. Um, thank you very much. I know that people listening have got a huge amount from that. So thank you very much. Um, remember everyone, you need to go and check out Elaine, buy Elaine's book, download the app when it comes out or when, or download the app now. Um, yeah, you
1: can download the app. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So we, we, we need to do that and we'll uh, make sure we've got some links for some of those things on the social posts that we put out. Uh, Elaine, Thank you very much. Uh, Amazing having you on. Um, Any last things from you at all?
1: It's been a joy, as always, to talk to you, Andy. Hopefully we'll be able to do it face-to-face soon with a pint in our hands or whatever. But thank you so much for having me on. It's been lovely.
0: No worries. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Thank you very much, everyone. Uh, Amazing to have you on. This was the Business Insider Secrets podcast uh, with Elaine Penhall and Andy Hooper. Thank you very much for your time.